The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Extended. Hi, this is Peter Johnson from Aerospace Radio Station Extended. And we bring you some of Europe's best guests. He's, he's been something of, of an unsung hero of the American space program outside those who are, have made it their business to become aficionados of it. News. <laughs> some people will call you mad. Some people will call you heroes. Uh, uh, and everyone else is probably somewhere in that spectrum. It's, uh, it's an amazing project to, to pull together from literally from scratch. And views. You've got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and learn from that experience. And that's not an easy thing to do, Peter, learning from your own failure. So why not give us a listen if you want to hear about warbirds, aviation, and the aerospace industry? Come over and give us a visit. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of Extended. Extended. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. I'm at the Air Force Museum of New Zealand at Wigram in Christchurch, and I'm sitting in the office of uh, Wing Commander Brett Marshall, who's the director. Hi, Brett. Hi, Dave. Uh, uh, we've just had a Wings Over New Zealand uh, forum yesterday here, and it was another huge success. Uh, and uh, that's, uh, once again, thanks to you for allowing us to come down and uh, use your facilities. Thank you very much. More than welcome. Yeah, pleasure. It's a great facility, and I recommend it to anybody who's uh, looking at doing any sort of event here at the Air Force Museum. Um, now you're the director of the museum, um, you've been in the role officially for uh, around about three months um, and um, unfortunately we lost uh, Therese last year, Therese Angelo last year, um, the former director, um, and uh, you've moved into that role. But it's not simply just a, a matter of you moving into the slot, was it? No, no, that's correct, Dave. You know, I um, joined the Air Force way back in '86. Um, you know, flying a number of different aircraft, um, Andovers, Friendship C-130s, a um, few tours overseas, etc. And um, I, in 2016, um, Therese asked me to pop to the museum for a coffee to see if I was. Uh, and then over that, she asked me if I'd be interested in coming to the the museum as the executive officer. Um, and for me, that was an opportunity um, that I never ever foresaw, but but jumped at um, when I did my officer training back in 1986. Um, during that, in the early '87, we had an extra week added to our officer. 
training course uh, for the opening of the museum and also being born and bred in Christchurch um, I went to the ATC and we paraded here at Wigram so I've got a um, I guess a very close association so when I took over um, the EXO role at the beginning of 2017 sadly Therese was diagnosed with um, with her uh, term, what became a, a terminal illness um, but I spent um, 18 odd months um, under her guidance and you know leadership um, and also very much mentoring role. Um, when Therese sadly passed away in uh, 2018 I was appointed as the acting director um, and at that point we asked that they don't um, advertise for a new director just to uh, allow staff to process the loss of Therese which um, impacted us all greatly. So um, then after about six months, at, uh, about March this year, they then advertised the, the position and it is a, um, a civilian position so um, I, I applied for the role. There was, I understand, about 25 odd apl applications. I um, was shortlisted, I was then interviewed um, and on the interview panel um, there was an Air Force representative, there was also a representative from museums, Aotearoa, um, there was a representative from the board and an HR representative and um, I was you know, fortunate enough to be successful um, with my application and was um, appointed into the director role um, about three months ago. Um, now the director role is a civilian one so I'll be stepping out of uniform at the end of this month into what I term civilian camouflage so yeah. like everyone else I'll have to think about what I'm going to wear in the morning so but it's um, I'm incredibly humbled um, to be appointed as the director and um, the museum is in such a, a good place very much due to um, the efforts of Therese over the last 15 years so it's a humbling but also um, exciting space to be at the moment. Yeah, this is going to be a bit of a change becoming a civilian, I guess. Uh, yeah, I've had practice. I practice in the weekends. You know, <laughs> I mean? Yeah, try, try, and, try and blend. Yeah, but uh, no, it, uh, but it is also, um, I guess, yeah, not, it's, it, it is for me kind of a, a mental thing, you know, having been in, the, um, in uniform um, since uh, 1986, so stepping out of uniform. I will, however, be staying on the active reserve, so for those times when a uh, senior officer is needed down in the Christchurch region, I will be able to represent the RNZF at commemorations and functions or to go and maybe bore people with after-dinner speeches, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> Another thing is, once you um, once you've been in the air force, you're always air force. Once you've left, you still feel like you're air force. It's, it's a, a, yeah, a, a, yeah. I, I guess so. Although I, you know, I guess when I look at it, you know, my uh, make up my friends, you know, we're um, uh, a mix of air force and civilian and uh, stuff. Though, but I think it's true. Yeah, you know, it does get into your, your blood. And actually, but being here as well, um, and I guess that's one of the things where I'm really humbled and honoured to be the director is um, our role of honour, which I personally see as the heart of our museum. There's a, a number of my friends whose names are on the role of honour. People that I I served with, flew with, um, had the odd beer with, um, even did Kentucky with, um, who sadly passed away um, over the last uh, number of years. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's making sure whatever I do that um, their memory um, is very much at the, the forefront of, um, of being the director. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. At one point, I just want to pick up on that. You said that you were in the Air Training Corps here at Wigram. Were you involved in any of the um, ATC projects that actually recovered aircraft or, or raised money for aircraft for this museum back in the 80s? No, no, not that I, I can recall. Um, no, I, but I was in 18, even ATC squadron back then, but I don't recall being, um, you know, 
um, involved in any way when I was an ATC cadet. The museum at that stage hadn't opened. Um, uh, it opened in 87 and I was in the ATC in the early 80s but we paraded I think um, down at uh, Seven Hanger back then. Yep. Um, yeah. And that's I think also where the museum, or the, when it was kind of a surrogate museum was back then. Yeah, exactly. And then when I was here, that was the restoration facility. Yes, that's right. Well. Yeah, and that's where Nats was as well. I think down there, six or seven hangar. There were six, yeah, six yeah. hangars. Mm. Uh, well, that's where I was as well. Small world. <laughs> is, Small yeah. world. Yeah, I think uh, we were neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? Thirty odd years later on. Yeah. 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 So, um, the the museum is actually an, uh, an Air Force unit, isn't it? It's uh, part of the Air Force. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's a. Its um, term within defence is the RNZF Museum, um, but our national name is the Air Force Museum of New Zealand, but we are an, an Air Force unit. Um, but we have um, also a board, now, and the, the way in which the structure works, I don't know how many people are familiar with, is that um, the board owns the collection. So the Air Force doesn't own the collection, it uh, belongs to the, the Board of Trustees. Um, but defence owns the, the, the land, obviously, and a majority of the buildings. And with respect to the um, personnel, um, defence funds about two-thirds of the personnel and the other third of the personnel are funded by the board so the, because we are free entry we therefore have to raise money um, to, to fund those positions um, and the relationship works quite well so for me as the director I have two bosses I answer to the deputy chief of air force yeah. and I also answer to the chairman of the the board and, and to the board so the, the board are um, looking you know for the future for the direction and, and where the museum is going um, and the the Air Force are very much about funding those positions because although we're a museum we're also you know we have a huge role with respect to the history of the RNZF um, they're looking after of all um, or the majority of RNZF documentation um, historical photographs um, etc etc for the RNZF so we we're kind of double-hatted if you like right, right. and so all of the artefacts, all of the aircraft, um, any decisions about their future or any changes or anything goes in front of the board because they're the, the custodians of the... Yeah, absolutely. So um, when it comes to, because we obviously have a, a, a number of um, objects with, within the collection, and um, even though my relatively um, short time um, within the museum sector, I've got to appreciate the way in which, you know, previously I might have looked at something and not seen the or understood the provenance of an object so for everything that comes to the museum we have an acquisitions and disposals committee so we look at an object when it uh, comes to us if we've got a significant number of those objects and maybe the object doesn't have any significant provenance provenance then maybe we wouldn't accept it in the collection and whoever's noting it maybe it's better um, for them to stay with that family but if uh, it is an object that is very rare that we don't have one off or it's an object that has significant provenance because of what it's been involved in or the person it's associated with, then that is when we would uh, love to have it in the collection. And that's the thing I um, you know, have, have learnt over the years. Um, sometimes people will um, come to the museum and see if there's any um, objects that they might be able to, I don't know, and, uh, um, I guess what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, purchase off the museum yep. or um, whatever it may be, but for us we have a policy where you we don't sell things, um, as it were, to uh, because we're not a, I guess, a supermarket as such. Um, all our objects they are given to us and bequeathed to us and entrusted in us to to look after. So. Um, when an object is um, deaccessioned, then the first thing that a museum should do in, in 
ethical museum practice is offer it back to the person that offered it to them in the first place. Um, and then if that's not, then it will offer it to the wider museum community, and then if that's not taken up, then it will dispose of it on, on the market. So that's the kind of um, way we operate. Things that we can obviously do with the, 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 the aviation community though, and, and which we have done, is the photocopying of plans, the, um, the, the uh, pictures and imagery, or even looking at objects so it can be recreated or rebuilt or re, um, a, a new one made from it. So um, 3D printing of some of the objects that we've got, for example. So um, there's been a few changes just recently in the in the main entrance uh, to the museum and the atrium. Uh, two of the aircraft that were hanging up there are gone, and um, the third one's just about to come down. So, can you tell us what's happening there? Yeah, at the moment we're just um, part of them for the reason for them coming down because they have been up there for so long. So it's very prudent to bring them down to make sure that the fittings and fixtures um, and everything attached to those aircraft are um, still. You know, f fine, and, f and you can only do that if you actually bring the aircraft down. And also, you know, how else can we um, the entrance to the atrium? It has been that way, and it, and it looked fantastic. But also, sometimes wanting to change the aircraft, maybe hanging in the atrium every couple of years. So, and doing it in different ways and more correct, um, and you know other ways so it gives us that opportunity now with a, a blank canvas to look at right what do we hang up the other thing with the aircraft hung in the atrium was just the engineering associated with it as well obviously the aircraft stayed up during the, the earthquakes but it is very prudent to make sure that anything that is hung up there we have all the engineering documentation on it that it is hung up um, in, in line with best practice and all the health and safety checks are, are all done so that's something we're going through with the next aircraft that we're going to be hanging up there and we're looking at a process maybe every two years changing the aircraft that is hung in the atrium. Right. In, in the um, circumstance where you hang an aircraft, it's not just the aircraft you've got to be mindful of, but the integrity of the building as well and make sure that's safe, uh, make sure that's not going to come down or have any problems as well. Yeah absolutely so that's why we have um, engineers that um, we engage with, we engage with Opus who do the structural review of the building, look at the, go through all the engineering calculations and work out exactly how um, an aircraft can be hung and what the maximum weight you can hang off it and how you, you hang it and therefore we do it within those parameters to make sure that obviously um, it's um, integral and that uh, the, the aircraft is hung there, there safely. So what are the current projects happening in the museum at the moment? Um, the, the biggest one for us going forward is probably the, and it has been going for a year or so, is the redevelopment. We were looking at the um, kind of a reimagining of the space internally within the museum. So we've got a, a new proposed layout that we're looking at and some of the changes that people all um, start seeing and um, if you do uh, come on one of the free um, tours of the reserve collection, if you've been out before you'll see the way in which that's changed. But at the start of, um, at the end of this year, start of next year, the Bristol Freighter will be moving to the front of the um, exhibition hall um, and the space that we use for functions and events, um, that'll be moved back further into the middle of the, the exhibition hall. So there's going to be some, yeah, some exciting changes in the future. Um, the other big, um, I guess in the next three to five years, uh, in the, I don't want to say it keeps me awake at night, um, but the, with the retirement of the C-130 and the P-3 Orion, um, our, not only our longest serving aircraft bar none, but also our longest serving pieces of military equipment bar none. Um, therefore, um, the museum will be getting uh, one of each of those aircraft. So the uh, I guess body of work that needs to be done is 
where will they go because they won't fit into any of our existing buildings um, complete therefore we are going to be embarking probably in the next uh, 12 to 18 months um, on, a, on a new exhibition hall just for those aircraft um, because they're both Lockheed Martin aircraft uh, keeping there and it may be that our Lockheed Hudson we put in the same aircraft hall as well which would be which would be fantastic so We've had some concept designs drawn up, um, but the funding of that um, will be something that will be, um, yeah, it'll it'll be more than a couple of cake stalls and uh, and, and raffles uh, to fund that building. But the the beauty of that, especially for the city of Christchurch, is that um, because we're not ratepayer, we're um, a, a government department. The um, the city will get the the benefit of the usage of of that building as well as another great facility for the museum and one of the interesting things about the museum um, if, if you're on TripAdvisor and um it depends on which way you rank things i think but traveler ranked or traveler reviewed the museum comes up in the in the top five of the over 200 things to do in christchurch which for um uh, you know a, a kind of a little old museum which is sort of fantastic museum i think so i think it's just great yeah so you talk about the uh upcoming um, exhibits of the, the Hercules and the Orion, both are very significant aircraft. Um, every one of the uh, aircraft in those fleets, the uh, six Orions and five Hercules, have all uh, flown in war zones, they've all uh, saved lives, they've all done all sorts of things. How would you select which one of the fleet that you want to preserve, how, how would you do that? Well, we've already gone through that process. Um, respect to looking, and it's a matter of looking at the provenance of each of the aircraft. Now, each of the aircraft can tell a story. The only um, aircraft that we wouldn't, uh, that, that we we won't be getting uh, definitely is um, Orion Zero Six because that was an ex RAAF one. Uh, nothing against uh, um, wonderful Australian neighbours. However, it doesn't have the provenance. It it didn't arrive with the other first ones that arrived in '66. Was purchased a number of years later. So they um, the the Herks. We have got the the Herc tail numbers that we're after with that, um, and we also have the Orion tail number. And it's looking about um, it is a, is a close run battle mm -hmm. um, or a close run race, if if you like, because each of them can tell the story of the aircraft. Yeah. But we definitely know um, which tail numbers we, we we are after, and it's those that have been involved maybe in significant projects. But each of those aircraft have been involved in significant events. Yeah. So is that just a matter of going back through their um, own personal logbooks and seeing all the different operations they've done and, and telling up which one was more significant than, than the last or...? Um, a, a little bit also going through and engaging with the um, the previous community on you know and that and you you'll find that people will have their favourite aircraft for various reasons because that was the aircraft they did something on but it's about taking that in context and also for um, for the Herks for example the Herc that we we want is zero one because that was the first one and that one there it can tell all the stories and it was also used as a bit of a test bed by Lockheed Martin I believe for, and I'm getting getting information on that and the development of the, of the H and the oh, testing of, of the engines. So that's got huge provenance. So having um, Herc 01 would be uh, no problem. And for us at the moment, we're looking seriously for the Orions at um, Orion 04. That was the, what, the first one to undergo a number of the upgrades, the Rigel upgrade, the Sirius upgrade, etc. So that's got very significance in, in its own right. Um, but there are, you know, for us, the first thing is to definitely get one of each of the aircraft yep. uh, because each of them can tell the story of all the others as well yep. and when you get into um, you know which is more significant than the other which mission is more significant you know it's a you know people will have their their different viewpoints but it's um, at the end of the day you know 
putting up after the research and the engagement that we've had with different individuals coming up with what, what we believe. It's going to be really significant for you to get uh, those aircraft because I don't think, because of the size of them, I don't think the other museums will be wanting to try and get them or get other ones because they're just too big for a museum to, to house. Really. So they might be the only ones left in the country. Yeah, uh, quite possibly. And again, it depends with the disposals of, of those aircraft um, and if the other, and um, I'm not fully involved with the disposals committee, but if there's residual value with those aircraft on the market, no, I'm, not, I'm not sure what that what that is. But the thing for me is I don't want those aircraft to be left outside because you leave them outside, they will just deteriorate. Um, and the um, amount of money that you have to spend in the future is uh, will be astronomical so the importance of building a uh, an exhibition hall for them i think has to take uh, priority um, those aircraft have served the country when you when you think about it combined those fleets are over 110 years you know the Herks we got in 1965 the orions in 1966 uh, the first ones so that is you know, the, the, just the length of service that they've, they've done, and as you mentioned before, everything. They've, um, they've deployed our troops um, overseas and brought them back. They've also brought in our fallen troops home. Um, they've been involved in so many operations. You know, the, the C-130s from you know, um, humanitarian disasters, you know, bringing the search and rescue teams down here for the earthquakes, um, responding to everything the country has demanded of them, and the number of lives that the P-3 has saved by finding people lost at the ocean, the patrolling of our exclusive economic zone, all of those things that have been done. Um, it, you can just go on and on and on. It's just incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and uh, talking about another uh, aircraft type that um, did significant work uh, with search and rescue, uh, the Catalina, what's happening with that? Well, it's still on our, for those that do the behind the scenes tour, they'll see the work that's progressing on that in our, in our workshops. Um, and we're just, uh, at the moment, the next discussion will be, um, and the redevelopment, where will that go, how will it be displayed, and those sorts of things. Now, one thing I found in the museum practices, it, um, Things change over time like it does in society and the way you treat objects and, and look after them. So um, maybe there were things done in museums um, in the past that today you, you would never do. And one of those is staying true to the original identity of the aircraft. Um, and then you'll have other schools of thought of people saying, oh, no, we should, um, you know, be, which identity to use if it's had a number of them. Um, and that's a discussion that, you know, whoever you talk to will have their own viewpoint and own idea. But one of the things we are considering with the Catalina um, is actually um, having it, not painting it up in any colours, but um, painting it up in a colour that we can project onto it. Um, there was a video we saw of a, a Concorde overseas where video is projected onto the side of the aircraft and on the video you can actually project the colour scheme onto the aircraft right. or whatever colour scheme you, you, you would like. Um, you can also project video onto the side of the aircraft. You can project the inside of the aircraft onto the side of it. So that was an area that we're actually looking at probably going down because it makes it so much more interactive and it can tell the story of the aircraft. You can have footage of RNZF Catalina's flying in the Pacific it's projected onto the side of the aircraft so and then had to have the aircraft there so that's something that we're looking at closely at the moment which I think will be uh, fantastic I think that is a brilliant idea and also when there's no, nothing being projected it's just going to be a white aircraft which is how they've served anyway mm -hmm. just without its roundels and yeah. markings so yeah, exactly. yeah, fantastic idea you, said, you mentioned that this is a, an RNGF unit um, how does that fit in with the museum and, and, and the wider defence force? Um Good question, Dave, actually. Um, uh, interesting enough, it's one thing when you, you 
there is that discussion around um, the Defence Force having service museums, um, and uh, for me, I think it's integral. The the RNZF Museum or the Air Force Museum in New Zealand, the the Air Force decided that it wanted one, and it's the only place where the names of our role of honour are, are remembered. But also, um, just last year, the, the Minister of Defence put out his Strategic Defence Policy Statement. Um, and in that, he talked about the Defence Force having kind of three pillars, if you like, or three areas. The first one being community, the second one being nation, and the third one being world. And those are the three areas we should focus on. And for us, um, our focus is very much community. Um, and you know, we, last year, we had over 150,000 visitors through the door, and that excludes the um, 50 to 60,000 that came to our corporate events. Right. So the ability there for people to engage with the RNZF, uh, with the Air Force, with the Defence Force, and um, what we're currently doing, we have a number of Twitter screens uh, within the museum that show the live Twitter feed. Um, you know, they're bigger than me, well, I guess that doesn't say much, um, but they're, they're large and interactive so you can see video about what we're doing, but it's a way of engaging with the community. The other thing as well, especially, and it was Teresa's vision very much with the uh, the new exhibition hall that was opened in 2013, now that was the first space that was opened in Christchurch since the earthquakes, the first large building, we've been in a relationship with the city council and with the community, um, and that being a surrogate mini convention centre if you like, so that has held so many many things within it, you know, hundreds and hundreds, whether it be uh, the Prime Minister holding a business luncheon for 600 people in there, to a Hot Spring Spas Expo, to a Go Green Expo, we had um, the Canterbury um, Sports Awards um, held in there every year, we have the, we've had the New Zealand Tourism Awards held at the museum for the last two years, um, we've, you name it, it's been kind of held at the museum, so that's a, a wonderful example I guess of community engagement, because the it's not just the community engagement, but Christchurch after the earthquakes, the number of events that that held, it kept people coming to the city, and those people all stayed in hotels, they um, paid for meals, etc. So it kept money coming in and supporting yeah. local businesses. So that's been a fantastic, um, I guess, uh, venue, if you like, or asset for the for the city of Christchurch. And that's when the Minister of Defence is talking about community. Those are the sorts of things that we do. Um, just a couple of months ago, we held a um, charity dinner for the YWCA to raise money, um, to help them raise money for emergency accommodation for um, mothers and uh, and children, right. and that um, we gave the uh, space freely. Our staff worked for for free to help set up, and then also collapsed at the end of the night. And that was a, a bingo night with Ethel and Bethel for those that have been to one of those. And they raised over ten thousand dollars. So here's a it's right. kind of here's an RNZF unit that is very much involved in the community and keeping the community very much, um, I guess, at, at its at its heart. And uh, I'm always really interested in ways in which we can do that more. And also when we talk about community, there is the the wider aviation community and how do we engage with them before prior to Therese passing um, away we um, had started on the aviation, aviation heritage community made a couple of meetings here um, that's something that you know just with the workload and getting my feet under the table here I've had to put on the back burner but that's something I really want to progress into um, and going forward in the future and engaging with our wider historical aviation community looking at ways we can work together and there are some ideas that we've already got we've got a draft map for example of the a number of the historical aviation um, museums 
rooms and uh, spaces that you can go with the country, uh, around the country. And so it's something that we've uh, developed. It's in a draft at the moment, but I need, when I get some time to progress that at the moment, I'm finding my feet a little bit in the director's role um, and uh, a few things going on at the museum, as there always are, reports to write, um, etc., um, etc. But really keen to see um, how we can continue as an avi historical aviation sector to, uh, to get more engaged. I think also, as well as um, the Christchurch and Canterbury community and, and also that wider aviation community, another big aspect from the way that I look at it is it's the RNZF community as well. This museum is all about our culture. Mm. Uh, it's about us and whether it's current Air Force like yourself or ex-Air Force like myself who, you know, I joined up 30 years ago and got out 25 years ago sort of thing. Mm. You come back here and you re-engage with that whole culture um, and you know, one of the big surprises I got this visit is in front of the Hudson. You've got those uh, excellent uh, cutout figures mm. of um, people who served in the Air Force over the last eighty years. And um, this is a guy that I joined up with there. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh no, what? <laughs> that's, a, that's someone I joined up with, and he's in the museum. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's pretty cool. It's uh, Tony Francois, Frog. Frog. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He was at uh, Air Movements down here at uh, Christchurch and is now in Ahakia. Right. But uh, yeah, uh, 80 figures and 80 stories now, we're, uh, we've, we're renamed to a thousand stories, so over time that will be built up in a number, but that just tells the, the stories of our people, because one thing um, about the museum, we have some wonderful aircraft and some wonderful exhibitions, wonderful objects, but for me they're all here to tell the story of our people, and it's the service and the sacrifice, you know, that is not only on our role of honour, but the service and sacrifice, like people like yourself and all those that have served, gave, and how do we tell the, the public about those, and also how do we link in with the community that um, loves historical aviation as well and so everything here is to tell the, tell the story of the of the people and the and the objects we use to do that one of my favorite cabinets um, for example is um, just at the entrance of the horizon gallery it has the the pen there the air Air Vice Marshal Solendit is it used to sign the Japanese surrender aboard the USS Missouri. The beauty of that is we all have a pen, you know, but you that's where a pen becomes more than a pen. Yeah. It's where you look at an object and you go, wow, wow, that's that's incredible. Also in that same cabinet is the um, the letter that went to the wife of Bonoff Matheson when he was killed in World War Two, and it's a telegram that she received to say that her husband had passed away um, or been killed on operations. And for me, that, you know, that again, that's why we're here, to make sure that's that's never forgotten. Um, and the other thing in there are a pair of flying boots that belong to Flight Lieutenant Hugh Jack McCaw. Now, on there he shot down 19 V-1 bombs. Now, the reason it's a half is because him and the pilot in another aircraft, I think it was a Tempest, um, couldn't agree between them who shot down the one of the V-1s, so yeah. they took half each. Right. Now, the fact that his flying boots were in the collection, had been in the collection for a number of years, and the fact that he had a, a grandson named Richie, um, and Richie McCaw, as we all know, became quite good at rugby. Yeah. Um, so here's that connection with um, a, a beautiful connection with New Zealanders, yeah. you know, and, and many of us have relatives um, that you know we, we know of and, and that served. But the other thing, the engagement with the RNZF that you talked about, you know, it's something that I'd like to look at more. How do we, when we're so far away from our bases, engage with um, the, our, our serving and, and uh, former serving? Uh, people and that's something that I really want to engage and hearten and I think the heart of that is our role of honour. One thing I'm very conscious about the role of honour is that um, a lot of those names are never remembered by anybody yeah. because if, if they were only sons um, that died then they, did, they weren't uncles. 
they weren't great uncles. Their, their line stopped with them, and who remembers their names? And that's how do I and I've, so we've got some ideas around to make sure those names are never forgotten and that they they come yeah that they are remembered forever. So that's um, a, a work in progress at the moment. But how to engage with those? But if anyone does ever come to the museum, I, you know the first thing I'd recommend is just stop at the Roll of Honor, have a read of those names. Um, yeah, you know, as I said, the average age was 21. Um, well, I think I said that, but the average age on a Roll of Honor was 21. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's actually um, quite pertinent. Today's the 2nd of September, mm. and tomorrow it's 80 years since the first day of the Second World War for New Zealand, mm. 3rd of September 1939. Yeah, yeah. But, but today is actually the 74th anniversary of the day that that uh, surrender was signed with Isaac's pen. Yeah, incredible. So, yeah, so yeah, today's the anniversary of that. Yeah, which is again, isn't it? The way these the objects come to come to light, and also coming up this month is also the um, anniversary um, this month of the Battle of Britain, um, and mm. we're holding a service on the fifteenth of September to commemorate the uh, the Battle of Britain here in in our atrium. Um, and one of the things in our collection is the um, out the back in the archives is the the personal logbook of Sir Keith Park. Um, which is one of my favourite objects in the collection that, that, that you obviously you handle with gloves and it's only not um, <coughs> on display uh, very often but there you can see the aircraft he, f he was flying on each day when he went around each different e area his own and it's you know whether it be um, the hurricane and where he was going in the UK as he visited the airfields while the Battle of Britain was raging and that's kind of you look at that and go that's his own hand that wrote that yeah. and that to me gives me gives me goosebumps yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, that, that's something that's um, really important about this place too, uh, and often gets overlooked, is the archives hold so much material, so much amazing stuff that you don't see on a normal visit to the museum, you have to sort of book to go to the archive. Um, a few years ago I was doing some research here and um, it was when Michelle Sim, who's now the communications director, yep. um, she um, was in the archives. and. She said, oh, I don't know what this scrapbook is, I think it might be pertinent to what you're looking for, but um, it hasn't been accessioned yet, and so we're not sure. And I started looking through it, and it gradually, gradually dawned on me that it was um, a scrapbook put together in the late 30s uh, by Sir, Sir Rafe Cochrane. Right, and awesome. It, it, while, yeah. he, while he was basically building our Air Force into nothing to the pre-war amazing air force that he built up Fair. and it was his own actual scrapbook yeah, it had, yeah, it had things awesome. like his airline tickets and it had letters from his father and it had um cuttings out of the paper that mentioned his name and all this sort of thing and then i, I called uh, michelle over and i said you gotta have a look at this and i think you you really need to put this in your computer what it is because it's quite damn special yeah <laughs> that, that, that that yeah it's things like that those almost kind of pinch me moments when you're um you're looking at something or you're reading it and the hairs stand up on the back yeah. of your neck and yeah. you it's just yeah that's what i one of the things i love um about working here one of the exciting things for us is our new it system which means we're going um we've been within the defense system for, for many, for, you know, since we, we began, obviously being a defence force sooner, but we're just in the process of going to outside, which means a lot of our photographs, um, a lot of our um, archival material that has been scanned and digitised is going to be open to the New Zealand public to go and view and look at when, whenever they want, which is um, absolutely fantastic. Yes. Um, the other thing with respect to our library um, down the back, it's a fat, um, amazing collection of, of things there in our archives. There is, you know, if we build a new building for the C-130, and the, and the P3 
um, the new exhibition hall, having attached to that, wanting to bring our library from the back to the front so the public can engage with it a lot easier, as opposed to having to make an appointment because where it's currently located. So that's again something to uh, to look look that's forward brilliant. to. Yeah, yeah, really good idea. Yeah. But it, it's, as with everything, it's, um, everyone knows projects take time. Um, they, the budget is always twice as what you initially think it's going to be, and it normally takes twice as long. Um, yeah, but I'll see if I can break that mould yeah, by not putting any timelines on. <laughs> well, that's, that's brilliant. No, um, there's certainly lots happening and lots going to happen in the future, so that's fantastic. Um, is there anything else that we need to cover? Actually, there is one thing I was going to ask you, uh, and that is... Um, what's your favourite aircraft in the collection? Um, to be honest, I don't know if I have a favourite aircraft as such. You know, um, there are, I, I worked out there's um, of the aircraft we've got, I've flown in 13 of the types okay. um, and physically in a, in a number of the aircraft that we actually got in our collection. Um, one with our redevelopment that we'll bring forward will be the Andover, which I, I don't know if I'd say it's my well, it is one of my favourite aircraft because I've got ours on that aircraft and that will be into our exhibition hall. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to that when it moves forward um, into the collection. You know, I, I served in Somalia flying Andovers um, and you know, just so many memories from, from that time. And when you walk inside the aircraft, just if you've ever flown in it, the smell just um, comes to you and it's just a fascinating piece of British um, engineering. But also I just touched on one thing I will add is um, our exhibition hall, that Therese and the board were very much drove that that actually in October is going to be renamed in a ceremony the Therese Angelo Wing in recognition of Therese and that will be done by the um, the Honourable Grant Robertson will be doing the, the renaming or the, the actually the official naming of it because it hasn't had, ever had an official name so he will be officially naming it the Therese Angelo Wing and his role as the Associate Minister for the Arts, Culture and, and Heritage so that's something that we're um, really looking forward to because coming in October it will be a year since Therese passed away which is going to be incredibly poignant for, for the museum so um, yeah and and for me the wonderful legacy that she's built up it's a privilege for me to continue the, the great work that she did but also um, embark the museum um, you know into the future what well, is going to be some some quite exciting times brilliant brilliant well thank you very much Brett it's been good to sit down and have a chat and we'll probably catch up again in the future absolutely absolutely thanks to you Dave cheers cheers that was the wings over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood <laughs>